Well, good morning once again, everyone. And welcome once again to Champ Community Church. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to, to see y'all here this morning. Uh, and that's especially true if you are a guest, whether it's been a while since you've been with us, whether you are coming back after Christmas, or whether this is your first time here, welcome. So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, make sure before you head out that you get one of our welcome gifts. It's, uh, it'll give you a little bit of a sense of who we are and what we're about here in Chatham County, and you'll get a nice... A gift of some local honey and or coffee, uh, which is always a delight. Well, at least if you like honey and coffee. <laughs> I certainly find it a delight. Uh, glad glad y'all are with us this morning, and make sure uh, you come say hi to me before, uh, before you leave. I'm going to be under the exit sign after the end of the service. I grew up watching uh, lots of police procedurals and crime dramas, and I've also always been a fan of science fiction. So whenever I stumble across something that combines those things, there's a good chance that I'm going to like it. Uh, Such was the case with the movie Frequency. Uh, In the movie, due to something weird that's happening with the Aurora Borealis, John, a man in 1999, is able to use a ham radio. Now, suspend disbelief, please. uh, A ham radio that's been in his house all his life to communicate to that same radio 30 years in the past in 1969. Now, once he figures out what's happening, that he's communicating to 1969, what he realizes is that the voice that's talking back to him on the other side of that radio is his father, Frank, in 1969. And Frank has since passed. Frank is not alive in 1999. He also gets to talk to a younger version of himself and even to his lifelong best friend as a child, uh, Gordo. This connection across time, what it it allows John to do is it allows him to share information with the folks in 1969, and that information gets used to save lives, to capture a serial killer, and even to share a word, a word with Gordo that turns into him taking advantage of that stock tip that he had passed on many years before that leads him to become uh, sort of well-off and affluent, right? It's, it's kind of great to have a voice that can give you just enough information for you to make the kinds of choices that can alter the course of your lives or the lives of others, isn't it? Wouldn't we all like something like that? Just a little bit of guidance, right? They don't have to map it all out for us, but just enough, just enough that we can make the kinds of choices that will lead us to live the lives we were made to live. Just a little bit of guidance, maybe even supernatural guidance. We're at the midway point of a series that we've titled Living Supernaturally here at Chatham Community Church. And what we've been talking about in this series, Living Supernaturally, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit, right? It's not about sort of living in sort of an ethereal, uh, sort of of out-of-body world where nothing on this world matters, but actually living supernaturally is most about how we engage and partner with the Spirit in the things we do in our day-to-day lives, the big things, but also the seemingly little things. And here's a gift for all of us who would love to have that sort of voice, that set of guidance to get nudges, just nudges even, in the right direction so we can set our lives on a course for good or for the better. Here's a gift for us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to guide. So when we choose into living supernaturally, we get access to supernatural guidance. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage where the Spirit does just that. The Spirit 
provides, provides guidance at the opportune time. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I'm, we're going to put it on the screen in just a second, but we'll be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 25. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Let me give you a second if you want to find it, but if not, here we go. Uh, actually, uh, verse 26. Apologies there. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. For a while, most of those who had become followers of Jesus were concentrated in Jerusalem. That's where uh, Jesus had instructed them to wait for the Spirit to come, and they had been there. And in Jerusalem, the Spirit was at work. People were getting healed. Miracles were happening. Uh, people were getting added to the community of faith. There was radical generosity happening. People's needs were being met. But there was also increasing tension with the Jewish religious authorities. And that tension comes to a head, and persecution breaks out. Now, while the apostles stay in Jerusalem, lots of other followers of Jesus start to scatter start to go out beyond Jerusalem. One of them is Philip. He makes his way to Samaria. And while in Samaria, man, like it just goes, it, it, it gets hopping in Samaria. Like miracles are happening there. People are following Jesus. People are getting freed. Like the community is growing. Something is getting established there. People are getting baptized. The apostles come to Samaria. The Holy Spirit comes to people in Samaria. Like it's awesome. It's the kind of thing any leader of a movement would dream of being part of. And then an angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit both communicate in succession to Philip, and they both start their communication to him with the same word, go, go, go. Now you think if he's getting pulled away from something so successful, something that's thriving, something where, there's, where life is happening, something where good things are coming forth, You'd think he'd be, being, he'd, be, he'd be going to something even better, right? Something even bigger, something with more possibilities, but he gets sent to a desert road. Not just a road, 
but a desert road. And I don't know if you've been on desert roads, but they don't call them desert roads for nothing. There's not a lot of people on a desert road, but there happens to be a chariot. And he nears that carriage, that carriage that's going away from Jerusalem, away from Samaria, away from where all the action is happening, and it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why would Philip, who's in a pivotal position, doing key ministry, serving in key ways, in good ways, be told to leave that, to go to a place where there seems to be nobody, and the person who's there is moving away from where all the action is happening? Throughout the scriptures and in history, one of the ways that God uses to guide people through the Spirit is through the word go and sometimes the word no. And just like in this passage, it doesn't always make sense. You may have experienced something like that, a sense from God that it was time to launch into something or move into something or leave something behind, even though it seemed inconvenient, even though it seemed inopportune, even though it didn't make sense. Or perhaps you've gotten a strong sense that it's time to stop something. You've gotten a sense of, no, now is not the time for that, even though it felt like everything was aligning for that. Maybe you've gotten a sense this road is not right. It doesn't always make sense. And here's the thing, and it's a little bit frustrating. We don't always get many more details. God's go and God's no don't always make sense. But usually, they are invitations to faithfulness and obedience that strengthen our living supernaturally. Usually on the other side of following through on God's go and God's no, even when they don't make sense, even when we don't have lots of details. There is more living supernaturally. It's what we see in the text. Five years ago, I was leading a thriving team. I had been leading them through a significant change. I had hired staff. I had changed our strategy. We were firing on all cylinders. I was also, I, I was also serving at a church and I'd finally moved into the town where that church was, which was a dream I had had for years. I longed to be in that town. I felt, like, I felt like this was a place for me to be. And I'd finally moved into that town. I was on a thriving team professionally. Like Things were firing on all cylinders, and I heard God's go. And I heard God's go. And I told my supervisors that God had given me a go, and I set an end date for a few months after, and I had no idea what I was going to. And it felt inconvenient, and it felt inopportune, because there were still plans to be fulfilled. There were still dreams that I was hoping for. There were still things that I set in motion that I hoped to finish out, and yet I heard God's go. And as the months crept on, opportunities that I thought would materialize did not. And when I pursued opportunities or, or opportunities pursued me and they materialized and there was an offer and there was an opportunity, I kept feeling a stop, a no from God. It was nerve-wracking. It was nerve-wracking to live in that go and in that no without knowing what was coming next. And yet, it was through that go and through those no's that I ended up here. <laughs> Thanks, Miss Sue. I'm excited to be here too. <laughs> Friends, they don't always make sense. 
But on the other side of God's go and God's no, there's more living supernaturally. So is there a no or is there a go that you're hesitating on right now? Is there something that you're holding back on following through because you're not sure what's next, because you don't know what's on the other side? Here's what I find. I find that some of the goes and the no's are God's most straightforward way to give us guidance. Right? It's one word. <laughs> Go or no, or maybe stop, right? Um, it's one of the most straightforward means that God uses to guide us. And on the other side of that, here's what I can promise you. You may not know what, the, what it is exactly, but I can guarantee you that it's more supernatural living. It's stronger experiences. It's deeper experiences. And because God's will for us is good, what's on the other side is even better. So go for it. Or don't. <laughs> or stop. And you see it here in Scripture, right? Philip goes, and he get, we get this amazing story. This amazing story. Uh, because Philip followed the Spirit's go and left something good, he went into the desert. We get to see the first fully non-Jewish convert to Christianity. Now, many of us who are sort of who are aware of the Bible, when we think of non-Jewish, uh, fully non-Jewish converts to Christianity, we think of Cornelius. But this story predates that. This happens before. This is the first fully non-Jewish convert to Christianity. Not only that, but he goes further out. He goes back to Ethiopia, further out than anyone had taken the message of Jesus up to that point. That is an amazing opportunity. That is an amazing story. It's a story that's filled with all sorts of supernatural living, all sorts of supernatural guidance. I mean, at the end of it, Philip gets uh, transported, right? All of that gets opened up because Philip follows God's go. What might be on the other side of you following your go or following through on God's no for you? Now, the Spirit guides in different ways, and he guides people in different ways. And usually... I find that the Spirit favors ways that we are more prone to catching onto or receiving. So as we seek the Spirit's guidance, as we seek supernatural guidance, one of the things to work on or one of the things to hone in on is to become aware of how the Spirit might guide us. Now, I'm not saying that the Spirit is limited to one way. The Spirit's only going to try to guide you in one particular way. But I found that for most people, they're sort of a, a go-to or a standby or a default. So pay attention in the days and weeks to come for what might feel like the Spirit's guidance in your life, what might feel like the Holy Spirit communicating to you. Start tracking it. Start keeping a record. You might start to notice patterns. And as you notice patterns of the things you think are the Spirit's communication with you or the Spirit's guidance of you, that will make you more aware of the times when the Spirit is looking to guide you, looking to shape, looking to speak, looking to lead. For many of us, the way the Spirit guides us might look very similar to what it looks like in the passage, or at least what's apparent, which I best describe as direct communication. One of the ways the Holy Spirit guides us is by communicating directly. The Holy Spirit can communicate directly to us, right? The Holy Spirit, at least for those of us who, have fo who are following Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And as the Spirit dwells in us, the Spirit can communicate to us. Now, notice I don't say speak. Now, the Spirit can speak, and the Spirit speaks in this passage, but it's much broader than simply speaking. The Spirit communicates to us. Now, for some of us, it is speak. Some of us have heard audible voices outside of us, audible voices that are pointing us 
towards good. And the Spirit is guiding us in that way. Some of us hear that voice internally. I don't know any, other, any better way to describe it than that, but we hear an internal voice that's not ours, that is communicating with us. Some of us, for some of us, the Spirit communicates through images. Things come to mind in our mind, or we see things, and they are the way the Spirit guides us. Some of us get feelings or sensations. Some of us get words. And what I mean words, I mean we see words or we see a word, kind of like a, um, a sign, you know. Uh, and that's the way the Spirit communicates to us. Like I said, some of us uh, get sensations or feelings. I knew someone who uh, was, was sort of in a room in a professional setting at one time and uh, as that person walked close to another colleague, she would start to get sick to her stomach, nauseous for no reason. And she tried it out a few times. She would walk away from that person, would feel better, would walk close to that person, would start to feel nauseous, start to feel nauseous. And she thought, I think the Spirit is guiding me to something. So she sought God out, and what she felt was God was saying, go talk to this person. She talked to this person. This person was going through professional turmoil, was feeling knots in her stomach because was feeling, was feeling it was the time to leave the organization, leave the job, and was tied up in knots of anxiousness because she didn't know what was next and didn't want to disappoint people. My friend experiencing that communication from God and talking to her gave this person the freedom to know God is here, God is guiding, you can go. Friends, the more we respond to these sorts of prompts, first of all, the better we'll get to discern when it's the Spirit communicating to us, but also the more you're likely to receive guidance in those ways. Because here's the thing. The Spirit is not trying to play hard to get. The Spirit is not trying to be mysterious on communicating with us. The Spirit wants to guide us. God wants us to know what His good will is. God wants us to receive His communication. So the more you hone in on it, the more you practice, the more you try the more the Spirit will communicate, the more the Spirit will guide. Now, in addition to communicating directly, the Spirit uses other means, and we see some of them in the passage, because it's not just Philip that's receiving guidance. The Ethiopian man is also receiving guidance. He needs guidance, and he gets it. In fact, you could argue that it's his need for guidance that spurs all the action in the passage. It's his need for guidance, I think, I could argue, that causes the Spirit to call Philip away from Samaria to this desert road. Because when Philip approaches the carriage, what he finds is the Ethiopian man reading a passage of Scripture. And then when he interacts with him, what he gets is that there, you, you, you get this, the man is feeling this tension because he's reading this passage and it's like he, he, he feels like he should be able to understand it, but he can't. And it's almost like he's communicating, there's something important for me from understanding this passage, and I can't understand it, right? I don't know if he did, but you can almost imagine that going up as a prayer to God. Can someone help me? Can someone help me understand? And that scripture becomes the turning point in this man's life. It leads to his life change. It starts with scripture, and it's one of the means the Holy Spirit uses to communicate. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture to guide us. Now, we believe that the Scripture are the words of God, and they are useful to us. They show us how to live, right? Go to Scripture for guidance is not bad advice. 
right? It's important to discern where to go in Scripture, and sometimes we need help with that, but it's never a bad idea to look to Scripture for guidance because it's a constant source. It's a consistent source where we can find God's will, God's good desire for our life by its very existence. That being said, sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring to mind a particular verse, the words of a particular verse, or a particular place in Scripture to look if he's looking to guide us in a specific way at a specific moment. A couple of years ago, someone from our church was, was, uh, was trying to decide uh, whether or not to take on something that was, felt really important, felt like a challenge to him, and felt like it was coming at a really hard time because lots of things in his life were going sort of, were, were, were amping up in intensity. And he was praying one day, and a chapter, verse, and book of the Bible came to his mind. He was not familiar with that chapter, verse, and book. Maybe he read it at some point, but he could not recall. And when he went to that chapter, verse, and book in the Bible, and he read those words, it's like it was, it was as if he was reading them for the first time. And there was the answer he was looking for. The Spirit guided him not with an audible voice, not with an image, not with an inner voice, but by leading him to Scripture. Now, in conjunction with the Scripture, and this passage, the Spirit uses Philip to guide the Ethiopian man, and that's true in life as well. Oftentimes, the Spirit will use community to guide us. Now, it doesn't tell us in the passage that the Spirit gave Philip the words that he shared with the Ethiopian man. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But what Philip likely did was simply talk about what he'd already known, what he'd seen, what he'd heard in his time in Jerusalem, in his time in Samaria, connecting things to Jesus. He talked about what his life with Jesus had been like, and that was compelling enough to make the man believe that what was being talked about in Isaiah was not only about Jesus, but it was worth giving your life to. The Spirit uses that to guide the Ethiopian man to new life and uses Philip to guide him into the waters of baptism as well. Now, there are times where the Spirit might communicate directly to other people something for us, right? The example I shared about my friend has a little bit of that. But oftentimes, the Spirit will use simply our lives, the way we relate what we've learned, what we've experienced, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've believed to help people along. Sometimes it's a timely word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a question. Sometimes it's a conversation. You never know, but it could help shift the course of someone's life. Some of us can tell stories of how those conversations with us have shifted our course. In our, uh, in, in our sort of faith community, we do a bit of communal sort of guidance. And we do it in sermon preparation. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the inner workings of our church will know this, but some of you will not. Uh, the, what we preach on on Sunday morning has been studied by small groups throughout the week, most small groups, and has been written about by our devotional team writers who are not Alex and I. They're, not people on, they're mostly not people on staff. They write about it throughout the week. So what you get uh, on Sunday is sort of the dessert of the way we've navigated through Scripture together. And oftentimes, Alex and I will use what we see coming out in the Connect devotionals, the devotions we produce, or we'll use what we've heard about in small groups to sort of craft our message, right? Every week, I see guidance from the Spirit 
about what to preach. I find it in Scripture. The Spirit speaks to me. But it often comes through the community experience as well. In fact, there's one example that always comes to mind. I remember. Now, Alex and I study the passages weeks in advance. We have a sense of where we're headed in the passage and where we're going to preach. And I remember one week we both came in, the day after our small group, to meet together. And we both came in sort of with like these eyes of, we have to talk about this. At both of our small groups, the conversation had gone on the passage to a place that we hadn't even thought of. Our small groups were sort of rallying around these particular fo- this particular theme in the passage that we weren't even thinking of preaching on, but it happened at both our small groups. And both of us knew. We came into that meeting knowing God is communicating to us through our community. He wants us to talk about this on Sunday morning, and both of our sermons changed. The community guided us in that moment. How might the community guide you? Some of your journeys here at Chatham Community Church started because the Spirit used community to guide you back to church after a long time or even guide you to this particular church as you were trying to figure out where to engage with faith again. It's possible, too, that like with Philip and the Ethiopian man, there are people in your vicinity who are crying out, how can I understand unless someone helps me? unless someone explains it to me. Be open, not just to receiving guidance from community, but from being the community that the Spirit uses to guide others. Who knows if those stories will turn out like this one, right, where the Spirit's guidance is followed and, 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 and there is life and there is abundance and there is good fruit. Philip experiences a different facet of living supernaturally, right? He grows his faith. He ends up getting transported somewhere else and settles after continuing to preach the gospel at a particular location, even passes on the legacy of of bringing guidance from the Spirit to his daughters, we read later on in the book of Acts. The Ethiopian man, who's a man of influence, an important man, a man who has an important position, gets to experience a God who listens, a God who guides, a God who brings life as he responds. And he represents a community of people that had not had access to the gospel yet. And now they do. And now they do. He goes from frustration at the beginning of the passage to rejoicing. How many people don't need that kind of change in their lives? To be visited by the Spirit in some way and go from frustration or fill in that blank with any other sort of sensation that is undesirable to rejoicing. That's good change. That's good change. If there's anything to take from that, my encouragement would be this. Follow the Spirit's guidance. It leads to fruitfulness. It leads to life. It leads to joy. I want all those things. (laughs) I suspect you do too. God's will is good. His disposition towards us is positive. And we've been given the Spirit, and the Spirit guides, and the Spirit guides for good. It isn't a takeover of our will. It's not controlling. It's an invitation to, part- to partnership. It's an invitation to lives that we were made for. So take it. Take the Spirit's guidance. Follow it and experience the life he has for you. Live supernaturally. Here's a few ways you can do that starting this week. A few ways to uh, follow the Spirit's guidance and live supernaturally. Start with everyday faithfulness. We are never without a sense of God's will in our lives. Either we have the Spirit sort of serving to convict us, or there's the Scripture that tells us how to live. There are things we know 
that are God's good will, God's will for us, whether it's loving God, loving our neighbors, whatever it is, scriptures contain many of them. And a willingness to be guided by what is already known will ready yourself for the other types of guidance, the guidance that, come in, that comes in occasional moments. So start with everyday faithfulness. Become aware of how the Spirit seeks to guide you. Start tracking what you think are, 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 is guidance from the Spirit. And check with people. Check with people who you know sort of have a better sense of how the Spirit guides. Ask them, does this seem right? And check with Scripture. Here's a good baseline. The Spirit never contradicts the Scriptures. The Spirit never contradicts the Scripture. Um, I, <laughs> I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked to people who, who've told me things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide this, and I'm praying, and I keep getting this sense, this sense that I should do that. And you know, it's, it's like I, I go to bed, I think about that, I wake back up, it's in my mind. Do you have any idea what that could be? It's probably the Spirit. But you know, sometimes we need people to tell us. We need people to confirm. We need people to affirm that what we're hearing is coming from God, and it's not just the burrito we ate before we went to bed. Follow God's goes and God's knows. We talked about that already, but many of those will strengthen your trust. And lastly, take the small steps so you'll be ready for the big leaps. Most of us want God's guidance in the big decisions, but you're not going to be prepared to follow God's guidance in the big decisions if you're not being attuned to him in the small things. It's a scriptural principle. Those who are faithful in the little will be entrusted with the much. So start with the small steps with the goes, with the nose, with the encouragement, with, with the nudge that says, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. Forgive that person. Be generous to that person. And when the moments come for the big ones, not only will you, will you already be attuned to how the Spirit wants to speak, but your trust will be ready to follow through on whatever the Spirit invites. This is a muscle you strengthen. So get at it. Uh, I want to create a space right now to uh, listen for the Spirit's guidance. So uh, usually I pray at the end of the sermon, and I'm going to pray sort of a brief prayer to open, and then we're just going to have silence uh, for you to listen or to attend to the Spirit. I have no expectation that God is going to speak to everyone. I don't know that he's going to guide, and I don't know that anyone needs the kind of guidance that God's going to bring right now. I suspect there are a few of us, but I want to create space. Attend to what comes, words, feelings, sensations, maybe a reminder of something you've put off. I'm going to create the space. My invitation is that if you get something, follow through on it, whatever the next step is, whether it's asking someone for confirmation, getting prayer, or simply buckling down on what you know God is inviting you to. Uh, and then after creating that silence, I'll pray over that time. So uh, would you join me? Spirit, you are here and you are looking to guide. So would you speak? Would you communicate? Would you bring to us what we need in this moment? And would we attend?
Lord, for those of us who've already gotten something, would you, would you encourage us to attend to it? For those of us who are still waiting and might be waiting a little longer, would you give us a sense that your guidance is coming as we need it? For all of us, Lord, may we take the steps you're inviting us to. May we seek you to live the life you've called us to. And may we see the fruit and the life that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.